Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. In late 1978, I was desperately looking for paid employment because I had none. And I rang up uh, Fred Della, who's a guy I'd kind of known at the NME. Very sweet guy, Fred Della. And I said, Fred, is there any work around anywhere? He said, well, Nick Logan, who had previously been the editor of the NME, has just started this magazine called Smash Hits. And he's just looking for help. And so I rang Nick, and he pretty much said, can you come in now, you know? (laughs) And uh, that turned into a job. And I I immediately knew that in almost, you know, 30 years after the event, I would be gathering in a pub in Islington. (laughs) With a load of people who either wrote from the magazine, wrote to the magazine, wanted to be on the magazine, fantasised about the magazine. And it, I have to say, it's, it's, it's one of the great, you know, satisfactions of my life to be, to be, you know, to be able to be part of a, a gathering like this. And I think I'll probably say the same thing for the other people on the stage. Mark, Ellen, Please. who obviously you know, but also our special guest this evening, Miranda Sawyer and Barry McElhenney. <laughs> And we were all there at certain times. Well, you were what, 1980 to 1980. No, well, I started in 1979. I started in 1979. I actually, I, I, this, before I go into my memories, Barry, when did you start to smash heads? October the 20th, 1986, until January the 10th, 1989. Very good. Very impressive. Have you got your P45 with it? I've got P45 still in my drawer. And Miranda, when, when, when were you there? Uh, 88, well, was it? No. Yeah, Barry yeah. gave me my job, and I got there uh, kind of September, October 88, till, and then decided I would leave for some reason in 1990. And were a reader before that, weren't you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, all the So, where, 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 can you remember the first issue you bought? No, I'm not as accurate. I'm not as nerdy as that. I have to say, sorry, Dave. But um, I can remember. I remember Madonna making a massive impression on me. 
through Top of the Pots, but also through Smash Hits, and I cut out all the stuff. She had loads of bangles, and I put that on. And that was a Neil Tennant interview, I think, the first interview she did. And uh, put her... And obviously did all the things that you do, so cut the lyrics out, put them up, everything, you know. Right, right. And there, did you have ambitions of working there? Yeah, for some reason I always... I just thought that's what I want to do. So I used to tell people um, that, that I would go and work for Smash I had two ambitions. One was to be the editor of Smash Hits, which I... As soon as I got to Smash Hits, I thought, I, thought, I don't want to be the editor. But, uh, <laughs> Very <laughs> but, wise. <laughs> Why not? Because I wanted the glory, and the yeah. editor don't, doesn't get the glory, no. the writers get the glory. And yeah. so I've worked that out quite quickly, and you, it's more fun. Meetings, you have to go to meetings all the time yeah. as editors, don't you? It's rubbish. And the other thing I wanted to do was uh, be a newsreader for some reason, which was, I'd smash it's definitely a right. better choice. Right. So, a bit of a history for anybody who doesn't know it. And I, I've wasted all of today on a wonderful Flickr site started by a guy called Brian McCloskey. Oh, in, uh, he lives in California, I think. Yeah, this guy's scanned in. He appears to have every How? issue of Smash Hits. And you get every page, you can read the entire Every thing. single page, the adverts, the offers, they're all there, you know. If you feel like, take two weeks off work and just... Yeah. Just sit there. We've been so, reading our old interviews with Banana Rama and stuff. I'm very excited. Of which more like... And what, and what a day to oh, be talking absolutely. about Banana Rama. T- too much excitement, Mark. Don't... Yeah. I Hold thought, that for later. Yes, yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> so, amazingly, the first issue of Smash Hits, which is in September 1978, is Plastic Bertrand. That's always a quiz question, isn't it? I spe- yes, absolutely. One of Belgium's very few contributions to, you know... Saint plan pour moi. Saint plan pour moi. And, uh, you know, it, it narrowly escaped being called Disco Fever. Because the publishers at the time looked around and said, well, Disco and John Travolta and so forth, that's all doing really well. Why don't you call it that? But no, they called it Smash Hits. But very quickly... Just thinking what a tempting offer that is. Ian Deary and Dart's colour poster. <laughs> it's almost as tempting There's as the cover story. Well. So I've only just noticed. The cover story of the Plastic Bertrand issue is ten copies of Plastic Bertrand's first album, To Be One. There was no interview with him, was there? Oh, plastic, plastic was unavailable. You couldn't get but, near plastic. No. <laughs> but the cover story is ten albums to be one. That's brilliant. But what's anyway. really interesting is the cover story is actually the lyrics, isn't it? So yes. there and yeah, there. Yeah, that's absolutely. The it's true. That is because he started. He had a very modest ambition, Nick Logan, which was to to do what Chart Song Words did or Disco Forty Five, I think, was the other one, and uh, just do do it in colour. And, you know, charge more money for it. And, you know... Nick did it at his kitchen table, didn't he? He did it at his kitchen table. Although when I joined, it was... um, They were based... They'd just taken an office in an advertising agency in Great Pulteney Street. Yeah. And I think the full complement of the staff was Nick, who wasn't there all the time. And then there was uh, Bev Hillier, who was Nick's sister-in-law. Who was the person who sat there and did the lyrics, you know entertain members of the Merton Parkers. And, uh, Merton Mick. And, um, and, uh, and the great Steve Bush, who was the, you know, the, the original design editor. But it, was, it moved very, very quickly. It turned fortnightly in the beginning of 1979. But even then, it's got you know, Rod Stewart and leopard skin yeah. on the cover. You know, it's still, it, it, it hasn't arrived at a style. Wasn't it, wasn't it published by EMAP only because EMAP had the capacity at their printing presses? 
So they were sort of semi-interested in it, but it was also a way of using up the spare capacity. I wouldn't be surprised. They tried, they launched three magazines at the same time. They did Smash Hits, Greatest Hits, and they did a country music magazine called Up Country. <laughs> I, like, I like the sound of Up Country. I know, I know. <laughs> up Country did one issue. <laughs> Greatest Hits did one issue. And Smash Hits, you know, went I wrote on for 26 years. Went on to be absolutely huge, you know. And, uh, but, but, you know, if you look at the, the transformation, you know, this is, this is when, this is 1982. I've been finding these from 1982 today. And, you know, that's a pretty major transformation in a world, isn't it, in quite a short period of time. That's a great cover, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, also, it's also interesting because you've got two types of bands. You've got the bands that were there already... And then yeah. became Smash It's bands like Madness and Texas Midnight Runners and um, Human League. All those groups that suddenly went into the pop market and became part of the Smash It's world. Stole them from the enemy. And then you got groups that were sort of invented for the Smash It's and MTV yeah. market. Well, the VH1, sorry, the VHS market, like uh, Alton Images. So uh, that's the, uh, you know, that, that was the, uh, it was just a huge convergence, wasn't it? Of people yeah, and also there's a, there's a thing with magazines is when they're, when they're really strong, and that's the point when it's really strong, is that it can take any, they can take anything and make them into that magazine. Yeah. So they can take, you know, obviously Madness and Altered Images are really smash hits anyway, but they could kind of take any group by that point and turn it into a smash yeah. hits group because yeah. it was so strong by comes. then. Well, it's weird, by the time I joined it, it had already been going for seven years and had become this phenomenon. So yes. by, by 86, it was already smash hits, you know, whereas when you guys... It well, was it was, you know, it was unique in my experience that, that every time you promoted it, you know, and that, that's the way that magazines used to grow, that you, you put a badge on the cover or you put a poster in with it or, or you advertise it on television or whatever you know, with the intention that you would sample a load of new readers who would come along for the gift, and then a certain proportion of them might stay. And the thing about Smash is, was whenever you sampled, they all stayed. So it just grew absolutely steadily all the time, you know. And so, you know, when I first got there, it was probably, I don't know, it was probably still about 150,000 copies yeah. or something like that. And then, you know... By this time, it's probably selling three hundred thousand. It's selling about yeah. half a million when I. It's selling half a million when I when I left. I think you know. Yeah. So what's you, were you there at the actual high point, Barry? You were. I was, I was there. I was there. I like to think for the biggest ever selling issue. But I joined in '86, uh, and I was working for the Melody Maker at the time, which of course was regarded as the sort of sworn enemy, a slightly raucous uh, venture. And I remember I was on tour with Five Star. Do you remember Five Star? <laughs> What, for the Melody Maker? For the Melody Maker, which is very, very extreme for the Melody Maker, sort of doing a, doing a, a piece of five-star, and got a phone call, uh, I think either from you, Dave, or from Tom Maloney, who was the publisher at the time, asking me if I would like to come for a very cloak-and-dagger interview at your house. Uh, and I was like 26 at the time, and uh, thought, you know, I didn't really know what it was about, because when you're in the world of the enemy and the Melody Maker, to some extent, you did look down and smash it off the... The song words. Oh, really? Looked out. Yeah, I was being polite, actually. Yeah, and um, but you know, quite quickly at that interview, realised there was something going on here that I wanted to be a big part of. But that, yeah, it was already established uh, under Steve Bush. Steve Bush was the editor. Neil Tennant was the deputy. I think you had just got on, gone to yeah. set up Q, and I arrived in '86. 
So what was the high point in terms of sales that you remember? The high point that I remember was Yaz on the cover in 19... Uh, at the end of 88, at the first poll winner's party, and we sold about 1.1 million copies. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> Which I didn't know much about publishing at the time, but it was 52p a copy. It was stuffed full of advertising. We were selling 1.1 million copies every two weeks. Uh, and we were well enough rewarded, but it wasn't... You know, you weren't earning a fortune. So, I mean, I think a lot of what EMAP went on to become was was built on the success of Smash Hits, the financial success. But it's also, it's kind of, it's an odd thing to happen to you quite early in your career, isn't it, to work on something that does that well? It was astonishing. I mean, it was absolutely astonishing. And I didn't quite know at the time, you know, what was was going on, you know. The scale of it was so vast. I mean, I remember it being like, it was like a machine. You know, it was great fun, but you had so many copies to get out. Yeah. To just print 1.2, 1.3 million copies of a magazine every two weeks, Involves you know two to three days at the typesetters, the colour house, the printers. So I remember a lot of it, as, as Miranda says, is being the editor was slightly less glamorous than it might appear. You were sort of trying to make this machine go round every two weeks. And also, it's quite you know it's hard to remember in the in those days. But when I joined, which was '88, I wrote the very first thing I ever wrote was on an electric typewriter, and everybody had just switched to Amstrad. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah. And so the whole thing was. I mean, it was incredibly astonishing to me because I had no experience. So I wrote something, somebody, you know, typed, set it, and then it came back, and somebody cut it out and stuck it on a piece of paper along with a photograph. It was all stuck down. And then taken, you know, there was another photograph taken of that, and that became a magazine. You know, it was very physical. Oh, absolutely. What we were there was done with hot beeswax. You ran the thing through (laughs) hot beeswax. Seriously, it sounds like something out of the 19th century, but, you know, it's astonishing, really. The biggest single difference I remember is, so at Melody Maker... You know, I'd have been the youngest person by some distance. The publisher would have been somebody in his 50s. The managing director was, you know, probably somebody in their late 60s. And I went to Dave's house for the interview on a Sunday night. Uh, And Dave was there, who I sort of knew off the TV. And Tom Maloney was there, who basically was running the company that published it. And I thought this was one of Dave's kids. I thought... (laughs) (laughs) You thought I was old enough to... Because this guy, guy, who turned out to be a year younger than me, he was 25 and he was running the company. In a, in a sort of polo neck shirt and a pair of jeans, and he stood up and said, "Hi, I'm Tom Maloney." I fucking, you know, I nearly fainted. I, <laughs> I thought this guy's equivalent where I'm currently working is, is seems about 96. I want to work here. You know, I want to work for these guys, and that made a huge difference because you but want is, people the same age as you. It is interesting going back to the point you, you're making that it was a craft yeah. process, wasn't it? Because yeah. I can remember Steve Bush, you know, doing these covers, and they're terrific covers. And you know, in the case of the, uh, the altered image one on the uh, uh, images one on the left, they are actually holding up cutouts. Yeah. You know, that's not done digitally. Obviously, they're standing in the studio holding up those letters. And uh, and the and the, the the Lee Thompson madness one was done by they, they'd had this photo session done. I think for driving in my car. I think it was yeah. where they'd all they'd all got hats with different letters on them, and we thought, oh, okay, that that'll work. But the way Steve did it was put a, a transparency in a projector, much yep. as yeah. your mother and father might have used okay. to show you exactly holiday snaps. Size it up. And they pointed up at, the, uh, at a piece of paper which was stuck on the wall <laughs> with a logo penciled on the top and would then trace out the shape that that transparency made to make a placing guide for the guy in Peterborough yeah. who did the job 
and would only get the job like two days later when Len, the retired printer, who came down every day on the train like from people, <laughs> would take it back. And then there was a miracle of an in innovation called Red Star. Do you remember Red that? Star. You were expecting stories about Duran Duran on yachts, <laughs> weren't you? Is this, is this too technical? I'm getting a bit worried, actually. <laughs> Alan, do you want some more stuff about Metrostat? Uh, you would spend, yeah. spend, th spend three days in every two weeks somewhere around here, Clark and Well, Farringdon, with it being set, typeset, right. print. And then you would go to the printers. And, of course, the printers would be in somewhere like Tewkesbury. And they would ply the young editor full of beer... Yeah. So that by the time the cover, which we were meant to be checking to match it, match the Crumlins, come off, you could have been looking at anything. Oh, it looks fantastic. Uh, and off you would go. 1.2 million copies. But if anybody wants to know why the early reviews, many of the early reviews were written by Red Star, it was Ian Craner. As the, you right. know, that was the... That Jockey Craner. Red Star. Jockey Craner. That was, that was how the records got yeah. to him. Jock O'Clock. Up in, up in Scotland. And so... Hey. Oh, there it know, is. Yeah, there are. So today, in The Guardian, there was an interview with the now reunited Bananarama. Fantastic. I want you to think about what's the most extraordinary bit of that statement. Bananarama reunite and it's celebrated in The Guardian. Yeah, The Guardian. No, no the idea, if you'd gone back to 1980, whenever that was, 1982, even The Guardian wouldn't have been interested in pop music. No, but that's it? because the people who like Bananarama now write for The Guardian. But it's also... <laughs> Could you do a left to right But it's also because Smash Hits changed The Guardian. So you can't, you yeah, know... So yeah. if you... If we, had the, we had pop magazines and we had NME and, we, and that was it. But then once music kind of uh, changed the, the kind of normal landscape of people, and I think really particularly things like Rave or, or uh, Manchester, or once the kind of alternative became the mainstream, and when you looked at something like um, when uh, Kurt Cobain died, all the newspapers realised that they'd missed out. So there's an entire youth audience that they miss, and, that, and literally it was pretty much after Kurt Cobain died, somebody, the Shame. observer, phoned me up and yeah. said, "Can you come and write for us now? Because we've realised they all that it's got really a music important. critic, didn't they? They've yeah, got a pop exactly. critic. So now yeah. you have a pop critic everywhere. But yeah. They didn't have it before. No, it's true. So, but this particular issue uh, has fond memories for Mark, doesn't it? Because you know, it's got well, banana armor. It's in got it. banana armor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, well, I liked it. He was the banana armor, you know, correspondent. He was. He was the. I was the, the fourth member of the Nans. The Nans. Yeah. Can you, can you do a left right. to right, Mark? Spray a load of stuff into can my. Can you do a left to right on those? Can you do a left to right? Left to right. Uh, yes, I think I can. So that's uh, Siobhan Faye on the on the left, isn't yeah. it? And that's uh, Sarah Dowling in the middle. It's yeah. Karen, Karen Woodward, Woodward on the far yeah. right. Thank you. Can I just say something? The old something? magic is still there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just going to say something that I know which one that Barry likes the most because no! he used to spend, oh, go on. He used to spend quite a long time looking at pictures. The lady on the right. It's Karen Wolf, I thought it would be. On the light yeah. box. You took quite a long time. Absolutely right, I still like her. Definitely. <laughs> wasn't she the one who's married to Andrew Ridgely? Or am I imagining things? Yeah. yeah. She, she was, wasn't she? Yeah. Or still is. Still That's is. Right. I, yeah, I yeah. realised I was out of my league at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did anybody buy this issue? This issue? I must yes. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> A few people. Excellent. I would Does been. anybody remember what was the feature inside that this particular Bananarama cover was there to sell? Oh, no? Sea fishing? <laughs> 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 it, it was... It, it was 
Oh, was that okay? Oh, right. Oh, right. Oh, Sorry. So there's a Sorry, thematic yeah. connection there. No, deep Sea Skiving. It was called. Deep Sea Skiving. How do I know that? For That's incredible. Out. The fine no, art of surfacing. The, the, this, rats. This, um, this had a feature inside where Mark Ellen took Bananarama round London. Because this is so brilliant. I just come from you know the music press. I've been at the NME, you know, where you were. And the NME was the world was under a great cloud, wasn't it? As the Melody Makers was. Hence, they were desperately trying to kind of catch on to Five Star because they were looking for some kind of commercial gain. But, you know, a terrible pall had descended on those magazines. And when I was there, you know, they, you ha- were forced to kind of worship at the shrine of Joy Division and uh, Crispy Ambulance. Cough. Yes, that's right. People got right. And a certain ratio. And I'd written a review of Joy Division saying I thought they were a little bit monotonous, a little bit boring, a bit dull. A bit samey. And a bit samey. And my card was marked. I was clearly going to have a sackable offence, you know. And uh, so I was then over the road, literally physically over the road. It was the other literally side opposite, of, of yes. Carnaby Street. You looked down the window, uh, through the window, into the offices of, of, of the enemy. Right and I never regretted it for a minute because I was going out interviewing, well, not really interviewing Bernard Lama, yeah, just taking the them round the town. So we started off, there was another page here. We started off, our first protocol was Burger King, which had just opened up in Oxford Street. Very exciting. And they, all three of them, ordered three quarter pounders. That's three quarter pound burgers between about this big, you know. And then Siobhan Faye complained of feeling sick all day. <laughs> and then I took them to South Moulton Street where we bought them some socks. I think we took them to the Sanctuary in Covent Garden where they put sort of cucumber discs on their you didn't eyes. didn't the enemy. We took them to some part of the Dorchester for tea. And then we took them to Buckingham Palace and we hired at... Genuinely, no great expense. A very bad Charles and I look alike. They look nothing like Charles and I. Can you see them? And we just thought this was hilarious, and it was so great because if I, I remember coming back and typing that up, looking through the window at the enemy and thinking, "Thank God I'm not still at the enemy. I'd be going out to interview Eidstertzend and Neubauer and <laughs> ask them if they'd ever, um, you know, Maybe read any Kierkegaard." That's right. Yeah, yeah. It would be um, throbbing gristle. But it, if it's Wednesday, it'd be throbbing gristle. I'd be asking them about, you know. But it was when he, when it, it was part of the role of Smash S, wasn't yes. it, to make people exciting. Yeah. yeah, that you didn't just go and stick a tape recorder in front of them and let them tell you well, about their new album. That did was you? the biggest single change I found from the, from the maker actually. So a melody maker, you would you would have an interview with Genesis Peorage or something, and that was it. You went along and you interviewed them, and then you wrote up whatever he said. Whereas yeah. this, you had to create on Smash Hits yeah. some kind of a a scene. So the art department were incredibly important. The photographers were incredibly important. So you, it wasn't just enough to interview wet, wet, wet. There had to be some scenario which generally came from us. Yeah. Yeah. Where they'd be coming out of a cake or something and, you know, yeah. with some sort of cover line to go with it. So the whole thing, it was incredibly visual uh, and it took me a while to get used to that, whereas the Melody Maker, it was just Completely. enough. It's enough to go and try and get an interview with Bono. This was, you two had to be seen to do something to do for you, yeah. Yeah. very reluctantly. And also, you have any experience of doing that? Yeah, I did. But also the other thing was that the music was just take as read, wasn't it? So you, yeah. you, you didn't have to ask really about the music. You just said, OK, that's Banana on, but we all know they're great. We all yeah. know we like the music. If you want to know the lyrics, there they are. So you never asked them any questions about music, which is actually quite freeing you know you don't need to bother you just say okay we know you're great you wouldn't be in here if you weren't well, exactly. that's but fine that's so now we'll just absolutely with it's much more interesting that's you so too true. because i'd spent quite a bit of time with them being being from ireland you know i'd sort of become like a part of the u2 camp and i could see in their eyes when i turned up from smash hits you know this kind of slight disappointment to put it mildly <laughs> uh and i was asked to go along to what was then the brit what the forerunner of the brit awards and my job for Smash Hits was to ask each member of you two to draw a duck. 
And I would then take the duck to a graphologist in Covent Garden who would analyse the duck and would say, yeah. well, clearly the edge, uh, you know, has... And, and I could see this look at Bono's eyes, which is, what the fuck's become of you, you know? Yeah. Two years ago, you were asking us about the, the meaning of, you know, when the streets have no name, now you're asking me to draw a bloody duck. But you're, but you're right. so right about the, um, the kind of process that you had to put onto these groups, you know, like the questions as well. Yeah, and completely right really about important. being freed up about the music because everybody, the, you know, they, they were obsessed, the readers were obsessed. They listened to these things, they knew every record absolutely back to front. And, and so you would go in there with those questions in order to prove that everybody was a character. Everyone was a kind of cartoon yeah. character. Even the most boring person, you had to make interesting. And so we invented all those questions. You remember those questions like, what colour is Tuesday? Yeah. You remember that? Do eggs make queer whistling bit... noise when you fry them? Yeah. That's right. There's yeah. loads of things. Ever... I mean, I still use quite a lot of the questions, actually, if I'm interviewing. But, well, yeah, because if, if you say... Do oh, like you, what? Do you have any interesting scars? Always get a story. Good, good you question. always get a really good Very story. Open question. Have you ever been sick in your shoes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gumboot. Very useful. Because if you haven't been sick in your shoes, you've been sick somewhere, or you've been yeah. in an in a instance like that. Or, you know, the classic one that Neil Tennant always says is, does your mother play golf? Because if you... <laughs> yeah. Because that reveals your class. Of course it does. Yeah. And it reveals what your relationship with your parents and what they yeah. did. Wasn't well, that because his mother played golf as well? It probably was yeah, also it because was. his mother And also if she didn't golf. play golf, she played something else or yeah. they hadn't got a mother or something had happened. And, or, you know, also, yeah. I used to, and I still ask this one now, is what, what are the posters? What posters do you have on your wall when you were young? Because yeah. it's really important. And also I think because it was, you know, it's obviously a youthful uh, publication. So, and I wasn't, I was a reader turned writer. And so I you know, obviously was quite close to my youth. And you can't really lie about your youth. It's really hard to tell um, lies, you know. So if you, even if you are Bono, if you ask a direct question about yeah. his background, you will, it's really hard to make up an entire life. And that was when it got really interesting, because you, Bananarama or Spandau Bali would sort of know the game, but we would be asking these questions of like, Marky Smith of the fall? Yeah, yeah. definitely. And that's when the real collisions happen. Or yeah. John Bon Jovi. That or was John Bon Jovi, or, or Robert Smith of the Cure. Who there were yeah. certain people that wouldn't play the game. Morrissey wouldn't play the Just game. Just refused. He felt he should be talking to the enemy. He should not be talking about his pet hates. You know, that was my first interview with Sheena Easton. And I, I was sent out to get Sheena Easton's pet hate. It's just like you and Bono and the Ducks, you know. And I'd come from the enemy, you know, asking people these kind of really rarefied. Yeah, what's happened to you? And she's going and she's trotting out, you know, uh, lump. I can still remember lumpy custard and spiders in the bath. I'm <laughs> dutifully writing this down, thinking, what's happened to me? This can't be right. This is going to be a career, you know. But Morris, I really be in the Islington pub in 37 years' time talking about this. But Morrissey, <laughs> uh, Morrissey may have been snotty about it, but he did it. Didn't but he? he did it because he, he knew. He, he, that, he that, did all these. Which was better, be on the cover of a magazine that sold 300,000 copies, or be But in also, he came into Smash, Smash Hits one time when I was there with um, with his PR Murray, and he came in, and none of us noticed because <laughs> we were so snotty at that point. Like we were just like. I don't know what it was. it was. We just didn't want it. Because anybody who came to visit us was kind of like Sunita or Danny Minogue. Do you yes, remember? Right. And so we would, we would just be a bit like, oh, we don't want to talk to them. And so Murray turned up with this person who we all worshipped in real life. We all thought Morrissey was brilliant. And we just didn't look up. And of course, if somebody, was, if somebody was down the dumper, you would say so-and-so's in reception. Reception, yeah. yeah. Which, Danny which, Minogue, always. Which meant, you know, they were so, they were so down Desperate. the path that they were actually turning up in reception accordingly. Down the dumper, down the dumper, I have to say, was a sort of uh, an invention of all 
was that Neil Tennant particularly liked. Neil really. And Neil loved, and he was so funny because you would say to Neil, um, who was so camp and theatrical and entertaining, you know, and you'd say, um, everyone talked in this kind of parallel universe way. So you'd say, Neil, do you think the new Gary Newman single's going to be a hit? And he would say, au contraire. <laughs> the pallid pop android has taken up residence in La Dumper. He is, in That's fact, firmly ensconced in the room just vacated by Buster Blood Vessel of Bad Man. <laughs> to his left is Phil Collins, who's been round to ask for a cup of sugar, and to his right is poor, poor Midgeur of Ultravox. <laughs> who's helped him choose some new curtains. And that was his way of saying, no, I think the new Gary Newman record is shit. But he he would make this answer last about three quarters of an hour. It was hilarious. It was a whole language. It was. was a whole language, in fact, of people like Tom Hibbert, who would speak in this sort of weird disco vicar type voice. And uh, up the, you would be up the dumper. What you would expect. When I expect. And be on the giddy carousel of pop. Do you yeah. remember that? You were either down the dumper or you're on the giddy carousel of pop, <laughs> the meaning you were having some success. Either. The beautiful thing about that language was that it was nothing like the kind of supposed language of people trying to be cool. Completely. It was, it complete was opposite. absolutely at the other end. It was from old school stories. Or something. Things your granny might oh, well, say. Or... I'm sure I remember Neil going on the road with, with, with Kajagugu. Do you remember? His first... This is the extraordinary thing. You're always given some really ghastly opening. That was his Sheena Easton, you know. And Neil was sent on the road with Kajagugu and he came back and we said, how was it? He said, oh, the noise, the people. <laughs> Which is, you know, again, that's your point. You know, we were right back into Noel Coward. Yeah, it, was, it was not. It was. Yeah. It was not hard boiled or anything no, like no. that. Yeah, whereas Melody Maker was the enemy was, and then you would go across the street literally, and it would just be the sort of other world. Yeah, absolutely. The world of perv breeks and you know, yeah, yeah. And, and cream horns and milky tea, and yeah. you know, it was. It was like an English suburban fantasy. Tom wasn't Hibbert it? had a lot to do with that. Absolutely. Yeah, he did. But. Continuing in this this one issue, oh, Mark. Right. Yeah, you thought you were here to. Oh right. <laughs> this is your feature, Mark. Oh, this, Allen. oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you didn't just write about Banana Rama oh, in yeah. that issue. Oh yeah, this is. You amazing. famously, this was Meatloaf at the very peak of his. Well, this again, this was so fascinating because Smash Hits was so huge that you got incredible access. Yeah. And also, they, made them they thought that, that Smash Hits was somehow completely benign and it wouldn't report on the kind of things that the nasty Melody Maker and the NME report. So you've got this extraordinary access. How so, wrong and, they and, were. And, and Meatloaf, at this time, was an absolutely enormous star. I mean, I think they'd sold 16 million copies of Bat Out of Hell. But the problem was that Jim Steinman, who was his producer and also written all the songs, had got about 99.2% of all the money. And poor old Meat, as his wife would call him... Um, <laughs> She really did call him meat. Uh, you know, got a, a minute amount. And I was driven up there by the guy from the record company. He said, whatever you do, do not mention money. Don't mention money. He will go, first and question. And so if you're a journalist, as we all know, if someone, if the PR says, don't, for God, if for, one thing you must do is do this. You must do it. You have to do it. Because clearly it's going to promote some hilarious reaction, which is going to be your headline, you know. And um, unless it's a clever double bluff, which occasionally was. So we, very modest little house, these sweet little children, his wife, and, um, you know, there was a little sort of... It was just a real... I couldn't believe that a rock star would live in this tiny little place, so I couldn't resist. I said, so, you know, when's the cash coming in? Because it clearly hasn't cash come in so far. And he went absolutely mental. (laughs) 
and beads of perspiration popped out of his brow. He started steaming, an enormous man, you know. And eventually, to come, he yelled and screamed and the wife had to go and hide somewhere with the children. He ran upstairs to take a, a shower to cool off, at which point the sheriff stroke district attorney arrived in a car with a legal writ from Jim, Jim Steinman as part of this thing, which claimed possession of his house. And that, believe that, of course, was the final straw, at which point he then ran downstairs in his underpants, taking pursued the stairs, the at the time, pursued the sheriff down the drive. With his, and I thought, this is great, because, again, you wouldn't get this if you were out there interviewing um, I'd Stuart Sendenoypan. <laughs> you know, this is yes, fantastic this is access. You know, and you, so wrote about, you wrote about it all, And you? I wrote about the entire thing, which, again, people never thought Smash Hits would do that. Because the PR on the way back said, you won't write Won't about. mention any of that. No, 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 no problem with that. Another, another... That just, yeah, that just shows you the variety of people who had hot... But pop singles in, in, in the 1980s. So you were the editor then? Yeah, yeah, that was my decision. And I was called. You were by thrilled the to bits, weren't you? The publisher, I thought it was hilarious. I thought, I thought the young ones were. They were kind of pop stars, weren't they? Yeah. Rick Mail, pop star. Yeah. Viv, you know, Al, uh, Aid Edmondson. They, they were just extraordinary. And it was a real coincidence that was all happening at the same time as the pop boom. And I decided to put him on the cover, and the publisher called me into the office. I was carpeted. And he said, What are you doing? You know, I said, That'll be a number one record. Actually, it was number two, so I wasn't far off, you know. But that's the kind of people who were making, making records at the time. And it sold terrifically. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is interesting. That. Do you remember the, do you remember the, the same the Smash issue. It's poll winners thing where everyone used to write in and vote? Most fanciable male. Yeah. Now, in our, you've got to Very go through who it was in your day, but in our day, important. most fanciable male, which must have mattered so much to them. John Taylor of Duran Duran must say, have it's sat there. John Taylor. Duran, did anybody vote for John Taylor it's of Duran Duran? Of course Taylor. you did. Of course they did. <laughs> of course you did. Quite rightly. Which must have caused terrible friction in the band. Can you imagine how cross Nick they were? Nick Rhodes be? would have been so fed up. Simon Le Bon was the front man of the group. <laughs> Lardo Le Bon, as we called him in print. That's nice, isn't it? So Lardo <laughs> never got the votes. I know. Foghorn Hadley. Do you remember that? We but I mean, Foghorn, Foghorn Hadley from, from Spandau Ballet. Take us back here. So this is what, 1984 or something yeah, like great that? Hair. Yeah. So this is the kind of acme of male pop beauty, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. In, in, in 1984. And God bless him, he's still, you know, he's a, he's a big deal still, isn't he, now? You he's know. Sorry? Isn't he in EastEnders? I think he's passed there. He's ascended to something even oh, greater no, than EastEnders, I think. But, but you talked about the, the, the posters. I mean, yeah, you can't look at it now. It literally looks like everything's in the wash. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all he could yeah. find was this suit. <laughs> I bumped into Spandau Ballet once in, 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 in South Moulton Street, I think. Because they, they were walking down, having been to a photo uh, shoot, and they genuinely... They'd always just been oh, yeah, They genuinely had jackets with no shirts, medallions. They were walking around London dressed like that. Fantastic. But the, the posters... On brand. The posters were hugely important, yeah, weren't they? very much so. I mean, you know, 13, 14-year-olds just papered their bedrooms with these things. Posters and the song words. The, yeah. the posters. It's gone, hasn't it, from the culture, hasn't it? The poster? Well, it's, uh, certainly from the printed culture, yeah. I mean, I suppose, the, the, you know, Instagram well, or something is probably the equivalent of that. No, but certainly posters... Like that, and the, the song words you don't you don't get anywhere now. Printed apart from 
Top of the Pops magazine. You get them. Uh, well, you do get them. Get? Weirdly, my, I only know this because my son is likes football. Is you get them in Match of the Day magazine. You just get yes. like pictures of Ronaldo yeah. and things like yeah. that. You know, yeah. 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 Also, they were a real rarity then. You know, there were so few pictures. Now there are millions of pictures being put up all the time. But yeah, and so then also what was interesting because after that, a few years later, uh, Select was launched. And do you remember part of Select was that we had posters yeah, in the same. middle? Yeah, yeah, so different sorts of posters. Yeah, yeah, different. You know, different. Yeah, but they were the shame. There were posters. Yeah, exactly. But it was. It indicates that it was a it was a quite a practical interactive thing, wasn't it? That people took the magazine apart, yeah, very much um, so. Put it on their walls. You made collages if you were me. Absolutely, I made collages. Uh, and of course, we had we had somebody in the office employed purely to listen to the lyrics. So Sue Miles would sit with her headphones on. Yeah, uh, and you had to get every uh, 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 every and baby, if you missed baby. one out, you would you get one out, you'd be quite rightly get letters. angry letters. Yeah, so twenty. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. And that was a full full time job, just sitting listening. The post to bag at Smashers. Did anybody here write? To actually, I know somebody did because she brought in a postcard that I sent her thirty two years ago. But did anybody else write to Smash Hits in their time? No, evidently not. Oh, yes, right. yeah, yeah. What did you write what about? Did you write about the current. <laughs> About five stars. She'd been reading Melody Maker. likely linked to that. their hot story. <laughs> yeah. Del- Delroy Pearson. But people used to carry the, 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 the postman used to bring sacks of mail. I mean, it was unbelievable. Well, and, the, and when we had the first Smash It's Reader's Poll, which was, I don't know, 1981 or 82 or, or something like that, I think we got 45,000 yeah. cut out forms. And we counted every single last one of them. Well, of course, right. it, was the, it was the only way, really, of communicating. I mean, we had RSVP, which was a, essentially a, a letters page on a pen pals page. Yeah. Pen pals, remember pen pals? Yeah. People would write in, I'm a Depeche Mode To me, that, that's the most amazing thing when you think back on it, you know, that 14, 15-year-olds used to go home and get out their friends' forever notepaper and their multicoloured pens, and they would write long letters about Annie Lennox or Boy George or who they were getting on with at school or whatever, and, and put it in an envelope, go and get a stamp. I'm not surprised by that at all. People do that no, now, but they just press a button and it goes out to the world, you know, on, on, on But it was the sort of dare like the Facebook of its day, because, you know, if you were living... We, we once did a thing on Smash It's about the, who lives in the most boring place. Do you remember that? Well, we knew the answer to that. It was Gainsborough and Lincolnshire. Gainsborough and Lincolnshire, yeah, we, we did. So that's where Steve came and from. People, that's right. And people wrote, and it was so sweet, and people wrote these letters, these you know, 14-year-olds would write from some remote part of Yorkshire saying, you know, describing a scene where sitting around the War Memorial, the War Memorial. Where always <laughs> would be a Girani, yes. a Goth, a Numenoid, Somebody who liked the wedding present, Dave Gedge the wedding present, hence they'd be a Gedgetarian. And those people, those people ought to have been, ought to have been really at war, should they? They would never in normal circumstances have talked to each other. And there they were sitting around there. And they're all, they're all dressed out of the small ads at the yeah. back of Smash Hits for Danilo yeah, yeah. clothing and That's so right. forth. You yeah. know, they they mail order bum flaps yeah. and all, yeah. that, all that kind of stuff. That yeah. That, that but it was, was very touching that you, you that's how you, could, you you wanted to know there were people just like you sitting in a bedroom somewhere with the again same Again from the same issue. Yeah, right, Nobody can read this, but that's Neil Tennant's review of Prince's Purple Rain and my review of Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. Quite a hot week. How many marks had it? How many marks had Ian Birch is in the room. Ian Birch is in the audience. Ian, and Ian's review of uh, Spandau Ballet's Parade is uh, nine, nine, nine out of ten. Nine out of ten, Ian. <laughs> Carry on, the spans. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> These will all be available for sale later. You know. How many did Neil give Prince? Eight. eight and Bruce Springsteen, eight. Eight out of ten. We're hedging our bets. Yeah, yeah. So, 
you know, all that stuff was still going on, you know, in the magazine, and it was a really important part of it. I got a reader, a reader to review the singles once. Do you remember that? I got. I think it was an eleven or twelve-year-old lad at school, and I got him to review the singles because I thought it'd be a really good idea. And he kept ringing up and saying, "You know, why don't you do this?" And why did he knew so much about it? And I think it, it, it just did it did him in, you know, because everybody at school was just so jealous that he'd been chosen to review yeah, the yeah. singles. I rather regretted it, really. It was a huge thing. Yeah, yeah, it was. This is your favourite cover, this Barry. Is my favourite cover from from my uh, editorship. Probably because... So this is Kylie Minogue in when, 1988? It's a bit about 87 or 88. Did you write that classic cover line? No, well, I remember I, the argument around it. I oh, do, go actually. On. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. It took ages because we were trying to think of something that right. It took a really long time. Corky O'Reilly, like there was me and Silver. I think Tom Doyle was there. Tom was definitely there. And we're just trying to write, find something that would work with Kylie. Because Kylie's quite tricky. She's a fantastic pop star, but she's... Quite and of course, now that you see Corky O'Reilly, it couldn't be anything else. Yeah, of course. Of course, it, of course it's Corky O'Reilly. Tom O'Reilly. Doyle uh, in the house tonight actually wrote that Michael Jackson story. I remember that. Tom, I don't know if you're still here, but Tom... Yeah. <laughs> so Michael Jackson... Even, even Smash Hits found it hard to get access to Michael Jackson. So I think we just sent Tom out and followed him around London for about a week. This is when he did the week of concerts at Wembley Stadium. Is that the era when he dangled the baby? It's it sort of been just before that, I think. But this, for me, was my favourite because it was kind of right slap bang in the middle, probably at the time I was editing it. Had an amazing team, Miranda included, and Tom Doyle and Chris Heath and Tom Hibbert, William Shaw. People have gone on to Sylvia. do Sylvia Patterson, um, and it's so clean, you know. I mean, you get the three posters yeah. at the top left. You got the Jackson. Funnily enough, Michael Jackson set not on the cover, probably because we couldn't get a picture, and also because Kylie at that time would have been huge. You got the competition top right. You probably got song words down the bottom left. It's just a, it's a beautifully designed cover, actually, I think, really. And the logo would change quite a bit from the last time we saw the logo. It's also, as is traditional, it's got a few names never to be heard of again. Yes. Oh, Glenn Medeiros. Cl- Climby Fisher. Climby Fisher. Blimey, it's Climby. That was another cover. I, I had a series of catastrophes. It's a bit like when football teams just get on a losing streak. And I went through, I, 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 I put the Joe Boxers on the cover. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Boxer beat, you see? Okay, some bit, thank you very much. I put a group called Jimmy the Hoover on the cover. <laughs> this ring, I did. I, I was. De- I just thought we can't keep putting Ultravox and Gary. We've got to get some new stuff. The only time I was ever actually called into Dave's office, in the publisher's office, was when I put the mission on the, the cover. Oh, yeah. Wayne Hussey of the mission on the cover of Smash Hits. Yeah. In the same week as Janet Jackson was sort of tucked away inside, just had one of those telling, tellings off, if you ever do this again. <laughs> you cannot put you this You can guy take a boy out the melody maker, you can't take the melody maker exactly. out the Exactly, it's probably some yeah. debt I owe to photograph. But this is, what, this is one of your favourites, man. Okay, so this is one of my favourites because... <laughs> it's a brilliant cover line. Okay, it's uh, can we just get a bit closer, right? So, okay, we have Mark Moore from S-Express, who is actually weirdly a, a really good pop star, but we didn't quite know what to do with him. So he's got a massive sandwich. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. Favourite sandwiches of the stars. <laughs> and then popping out of the sandwich, you have the Reynolds girls, as just so he can say, I'd rather snack. Because there it was, I'd rather snack. And Fleetwood Mac. It's brilliant. It's so great. But what I really like about it is obviously... I mean, the Reynolds girls were Stock Aitken and Waterman. They were, they were not great pop stars. They had a hit. But what's interesting about that is it's just at the point when Smash Hits had to try and deal with club music, that's basically. Right. And that's, it's, it's really hard because um, 
because club music is for adults, you know, it's about drugs and it's about going out really late. So it was actually quite hard for Smash Hits to work out how to do rave and this was really kind of the beginning of the time well, actually around about the time when I joined where that we had to deal with it do you remember we had like little posters and we'd have to instead of saying I'm going to the rave we had, I'm off down the rave up yes. <laughs> because it sounded more Kitty. And you've got living in a box on that oh cover. Oh, my God. We have all interviewed living in a box. Do you remember all those free, free badges? There was a badge that said, uh, put, put the kettle on, mother, I'm parched. Yeah. Do you remember that? <laughs> and uh, if I remember, I don't think I'm making this up, there was a free smash hits giveaway, which was uh, a men they couldn't hang coat hanger. <laughs> remember that? <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. That's we, brilliant, isn't it? We, there was another badge that said... Put it on, take, take it, it off, off, put it on again. Guaranteed. Hours of fun guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. Just brilliant. We had a life-size Freddie Mercury. Do you remember the life-size Freddie Mercury, which was a competition prize? We had six foot tall, yeah. uh, which, which was stored in the uh, hall of the entrance at Carnaby Street until the fire brigade came and told it was a fire hazard. So we had to, yeah. to unceremoniously dump the life-size <laughs> Freddie out the back. I'm interested here. You got Craig Logan from Bross. I know. Uh, now, Paul Ken. Yeah, that's Ken. A, so he was known as Ken. Ken, to give him Ken. his full name. So Always. why was he known as Ken? Well, there was the, there was the two members. There was uh, Matt and Luke, obviously, who yeah. for most people were bros. And then just, I suppose because he was called Craig and because nobody really cared who he was, he just became, he became known as Ken. And even now, even now he's a really high-functioning <laughs> record company, company executive. executive. He's, he's still known as Ken. Ken yeah. So <laughs> didn't, you, didn't you used to have a special name for the lineup of you two? We had uh, Bobo, um, <laughs> The Hedge... <laughs> Uh, Adam Clearoff Clayton uh, and the other one. The other one, yeah. I always loved that. Stuff. Alan Ant. Alan Ant. We used to we used to deliberately spell pop stars' names wrong just to annoy the reader. So we'd say Alan Ant and Paul Welder, and people would write it and they would say it's not Paul Welder. His name is Paul Welder. We got really really Adam. cross. <laughs> Ian, Ian Birch uh, and over there and uh, Neil Tennant and myself used to love a group, a 60s uh, psychedelic group called the Incredible String Band. And so every, every year we used to do the, the reader's poll and we'd put in pictures of groups just to remind you who, who'd had a great year. You can see where this is going. And so you'd have Nick Kershaw, you'd have Strawberry Switchblade, you'd have, you know... <laughs> you'd have Frankie Goes to Hollywood and you'd have the Incredible String Band. <laughs> and people would write in and say, Gee, I, I missed, and they look great and I love their clothes. Where can I get their look? But I don't remember hearing any of their records. Where can I buy some? You know? It was brilliant. What was Freddie Mercury known as? Oh, Lord Lucan of Mercury. <laughs> Paul McCartney was known as Wacky Macca Thumbs Aloft. That's his full name. It's brilliant. And all that stuff... There was, there was a member of the Big culture, Counter, didn't it? Really? Oh, yeah, and that did. still, you know, hangs on. Wacky Macca actually used to call himself Wacky Macca. I, I, I interviewed him for Q. The in Big Country, Mark Unpronounceable. Mark Unpronounceable <laughs> name, Mark Brzezinski. <laughs> but I interviewed Paul McCartney for Q magazine, which we did after uh, Smash Hits, you know. And he said, oh, OK, I'm still Wacky Macca. You know, no, mate, no, no, you're just, it's Q magazine. You can be just Paul McCartney now, and you... <laughs> You'd be the brilliant bass player of the Beatles. You're right there and everywhere. I asked our guest to to uh, name their favourite pop star from the yeah, time. Barry, you. Yeah, Rick I mean, this is an unlikely choice. I don't exactly go home and listen to, to a bit of a Rick of an evening, but um, I chose Rick Astley because he came along at exactly the right time. So Smash Hits, it was like this kind of machine where we were ready around this time to sort of pounce on whoever came. The team was right. 
We'd already had a couple of dry runs with Brosser people. Rick Astley, who was the tea boy at the Stockick and Waterman studio, suddenly emerged, was this fantastic pop star. Um, and we were just sort of ready to pounce upon him. And I remember we sent, I think it was Chris Heath along to interview him. And you would always say, you know, did you ever write any songs when you were a kid? And Rick Astley said, oh, yeah, yeah, I did, actually. I, I wrote a song. And Chris said, um, what was it called? He said, it was called A Ruddy Big Pig. <laughs> And Chris Heath, obviously realising this is smash his school, said, you can't remember it, can you, by any chance? And Rick said, oh, yeah, a ruddy big pig came down our street, a ruddy big pig. And, of course, we would then put him on the cover with a speech bubble saying, a ruddy big pig came down our street. <laughs> and the whole combination of just being the sort of the T-boy stocking and a waterman, you know, this, this uh, unlikely-looking character who's actually gone on to have a remarkable career in his own way. <laughs> but he was probably my favourite, not because, as I say, I'd particularly go home and listen to him, of an evening, but just because of the time. Uh, and I just remember it being such fun around this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Miranda, I think you... you oh, look, they are. oh, look at them. <laughs> oh. OK, so I... So when's this? This is uh, uh, 1990. And so this was actually, I think, almost my last... It was probably my last cover before I left, but... Um, so because I came from near Manchester... I don't come from Manchester. I come from a kind of, uh, like a suburb where all the footballers live <laughs> in Cheshire. But I was deemed to be the Mancunian correspondent. So I got sent up to interview, you know, Happy Mondays and uh, Stone Roses and everything like that. And the Stone Roses were obviously massive and incredibly difficult to interview. And so I went up to interview them and they were hours late. I can't tell you, they were like five hours late, which is, you know, okay. And they turned up and... Um, I loved the Stone Roses, I, you know, so you have to also add that factor in. But they were great. They were really good interviews, but they were all very separate, which is always quite a good way to interview them. So I interviewed them, and um, they did uh, their... their You can't really tell from this, but inside, they, we had a projection, and it was a projection of... Um, either they had a choice of space or underwater and they, then they, were, they really loved it and they got the photos taken and everything but then they said alright we're going off to um, edit an interview uh, edit a video uh, and we'll come back in a bit and I I wouldn't do it now I just Who thought I just thought yeah I let, A let them go and B got bored and just went <laughs> you're just not meant to do that but they really liked it because I just thought you know what I'm not hanging around with you anymore I'm really bored I'm going off with my mates so I went out and then I got this phone call off uh, Ian Brown which of course I kept on my answer phone for ages going alright bunny I was called bunny in those days alright bunny you didn't come back <laughs> Do you still want to interview us? And I was like, yes, okay. And then did the interview on the on the phone in the end, which was fine. But it was quite interesting to me that what I find interesting about that story is actually that I would do that. I mean, now I would never do that. Of course, I'd hang around or I'd make sure I was in with them. But I was so kind of still such a reader and such a person who was going out that I just thought, I'm bored now. I'm going to go to the pub. I'm going to go to the hacienda, and then I'll come back later. If you notice the posters here, we have the Inspiral carpets. That must be a very popular poster, I would imagine. <laughs> Yeah. The wall. Who was your favourite interview? And still five star. Look. Five star still there? Yeah. Who was your favourite interview? I mean, good God. Um, I, I always like, well, in terms of bands, I quite like, I always like Adam and the Ants. I thought they were absolutely Alan. fantastic. Alan. Alan and the Ants. <laughs> I thought they were just great because, you know, they, they'd, he'd made, you could call it cynical, or you could call it opportunistic, but he, he'd made this incredible change, you know, because, you know, the original Adam and the Ants were, were, were making this kind of uh, flirting with kind of Nazi, yeah, S&M. fascist SM fashion and writing, whipping my valise and all those kind of songs, Dirk wears 
wears white socks, you know. And then he just decided, and quite rightly, there was a whole audience of you know, 14-year-old girls who just wanted pop records and probably yeah, liked absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, I was one of them. And, he, and I, what I really liked about him was that he wasn't, you know, he was completely transparent about it. You know, that he'd done it and he knew exactly how to be a pop star. He knew what was re- required of him. And um, in fact, I went to see Adam and the Ants about five years ago with one of my mates. He's in the audience, actually. And it was hilarious. He really saw that division because he, he played the whole of Dirk Wears White Socks to riotous applause. And then he went behind a little uh, sort of partition we could see him actually from where we were sitting here getting changed changed into his you know in his, 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 yeah got the old dandy highwayman thing and then suddenly leapt out from behind him and said I am the dandy highwayman and about 3,000 people went shut the fuck up you know and got up you could hear these people clanking out these old goths and, and punks in their terrible old green hair and their chains you know leaving and all the kind of 14 year old girls got up and started screaming you know so you've so, You've talked about uh, you two and the... Uh, you know, There's a band was... that don't take themselves seriously. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. it, was, it was such a collision because, as I say, I sort of had been admitted into the camp uh, and then it was instantly excommunicated when you turn up from Smash It's because they just would have regarded it as frivolous and what am I thinking of? You know, I built a career as a journalist at Melody Maker. It's, it's kind press. of, are you You're poking fun at us? You know? yeah, and, and the th- truth is, yes. Yes, we are. We're poking fun at everybody, actually. We're poking uh, fun at the funny groups as well. And Cl- Adam Clearoff Clayton was known as that because at the Brits was when I asked him to draw the talk. He actually said, fuck off, not Clearoff. <laughs> we couldn't call him Adam Fuck Off Clayton, so he was known as Adam Clearoff Clayton. <laughs> I suppose I, I'd like to say it was affectionate, you know. Well, you too. No, with, with everybody, because you know we kind of took the piss out no, of them. There was them, no but, venom. But great fondness, you know. Well, well apart, they, apart from Jimmy Percy, you know, that was the Jimmy. Per- oh God, yeah, Jimmy Percy. Jimmy Percy came into the office and threatened, physically threatened Dave, because you'd written a review of Sham Sixty Nine saying how I think you may have only given them one star or one out of ten, something shocking. And he said, Pinned me never, the ever door. mention our band in your magazine. And of course, the rest of the... And we, 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 we took him in his word and didn't. The rest of the staff... Yeah. <laughs> and where are they now? His wish was fulfilled. The yeah. rest of the staff would make fun of me as well. So because I had written about you two, so Tom Hibbert would say something like, so how's the hedges shimmering shards? No, no, it's great. I would try and get it into print on any possible occasion. You've got Tapau here, black Colin Vercombe, who yeah. sadly... Passed away about a year ago. Oh, right, 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 right. Communal Arts, Pet Shop Boys, of course, Neil Tennant, back in the magazine that he'd been Do you remember the next issue, Trails in Smash Hits? Um, Great thought when... Yeah, we used to to trail things like, next issue, the human saucepans of the Orinoco. Do you remember that? (laughs) Next issue, my favourite one was, a duck, some tractors and a pound of lard. (laughs) Oh, great, I've got to get that. (laughs) Talking of which, I think we should move now to the highlight of the evening which nobody in this room knows about, we're going to have an audience participation quiz. We're having a quiz. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, be prepared. Now, this only applies to the people who have seats in the room, which, for reasons that will become clear, we have prizes. We have prizes. We have a Smash Hits book. We had a tremendous jar of marmalade. Yes. We've got samosas. Okay. <laughs> samosas and, and some chocolate. chocolate. Yeah. Ten. <laughs> That's right. So, okay. So, are you ready? Question one. You've all got to stand up. Okay? Stand up. Don't complain. All oh, the old bones. It's suddenly like okay. an exercise class, isn't it? <laughs> okay. 
I can't read your. I can't read your writing. Mark will tell you the name of somebody who might have been on the cover of Smash Hits. If you think the statement is true, you raise your right hand. If you think the statement is false, you raise your left hand. Okay, Mark. So the group in question is New Order. Were New Order ever on the cover of Smash Hits? Right hand, if you think it's true. No, it's not were. It's Smash Hits. New Order were on the cover of Smash Hits. Right hand, if you think it's true. Left hand, if you think it's false. Okay. So right-handed people can sit down because it's false. Oh my goodness! Look at that. Okay. So, so if you had your right, so left-handed people can remain standing. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. The next one, exactly the, next the same one, question. Put your hands down. It's same question, same deal. This was person this was on, person ever on the cover of Smash Hits? What's what? And it's Malcolm McLaren. So, right hand for yes, left hand for no. Right hand for yes, left hand for no. Okay. Okay, well, he well, was. The people, people with the so left hand was. can sit down because, yeah, he yes, was. he was on the cover yeah. of Smash Oh, this is amazing. It's okay. out. It's it working. Out. This is All right, okay. This next person. Okay, the next one, right. Was Margaret Thatcher ever on the cover of Smash Hits? So Famously right, interviewed right by Tom yes. Hibbert. Right hand for yes, left hand for no. Right hand for yes, left hand for no. People with right hand can sit down because no, she wasn't on the cover of Smash Hits. Oh, well, we're down to... I don't know what this is going to sound like on the podcast. <laughs> we're down to how many people? Just about five. No, whatever. No, about 12. Oh, 12. Okay, 12. Okay, next okay. one. Okay, sorry. Next one. Next one is Nana with her sensational... 99 Loft Balloons. Was she on the cover of Smash Hits? Right hand for yes, left hand for no. Right hand for yes, left hand for no. Okay, right hand sit down because no, no she, she wasn't. wasn't. We are, this is going well. Got All one, right, two, we're now down three. to... We're down to about seven people. Okay, the next one is Donna Summer. Right hand for yes. Right hand for yes. Left hand for no. Right hand for yes, left hand for no. Left hand sit down because yes, she was on the, on the cover of Smash Hits. Oh, this is sensational. Well, the next one is Zig Zig Sputnik. Right hand for yes, left hand for no. Right hand for yes, left hand for no. Left hand sit down because yes, they were. Okay. Three left. Three people left. I think that's right. Yeah, okay. Okay. Joe Dolce. Was he ever on the cover of Smash the Right hand one. for yes, left hand for no. Okay. No, no, they're all right. You're all right. I shouldn't have put that in. Okay. <laughs> Renee and Renato. Right hand for yes, left hand for no. Oh, no, they're too good, working. these people. Too good. All right, Phil Collins. Right hand for yes. They're all wrong. So, never on the cover. Never on the cover. So, we keep the prices. We've we beaten the, the price. Audience. It's absolutely perfect. We've beaten the audience. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much indeed for coming. You've been a terrific audience. And will you please uh, thank our special guests for this evening, Miranda Sawyer and Barry McElhenney. Hey. And can I just mention that? 
uh, Dave's terrific book is on sale outside, and Miranda's terrific book is also on sale outside, and they'd be very happy to sign. And copies. Tom's book is and Tom's book is freely available. Signfest. And mine. Oh, good. Mine too. Thank well, you very thank much you. indeed for coming. Cheers. Good night. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.